Amen. Man, that's good. Yeah, it's okay to clap. <laughs> you don't have to, but you can. <laughs> it's, it's okay. <laughs> that too. It's all right. <laughs> uh, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, we're coming to the end of our uh, series, Better Together, How to Went Home. We've got this week and next week, and then I'm going to try my hand at an election uh, message, which ought to be real fun. <laughs> Um, and then uh, John's going to just share a couple weeks. My son's coming back up to visit in, in the first week of, well, last week of uh, November. So anyway, just to let you know some things coming up. Um, if you remember, we began this series with uh, the foundation. The, the whole, our whole beginning point is founded in, in just on the Word of God. There is no other mechanism for us as Christian people to do anything other than that. The moment you move off of that, you're into, you know, eventually the deep weeds. And so our foundation for all of this comes from uh, his inspired, reliable, authoritative word. It's how God has revealed himself to us. No, he has not revealed everything about himself. Um, that's why he is eternal. In fact, my grandson yesterday, <laughs> I love questions. He goes, Grandpa, is heaven going to be boring? <laughs> you remember asking that question when you were a kid? I do. And the whole point of that is actually, no, because God's eternal. You're never going to catch up to him. <laughs> There's always going to be something. It's not going to be boring at all. We also talked about after that, the fact that we're broken people. God redeems broken things. I mean, we are broken in his sin. And he, through Jesus Christ, is the only one who can restore. The only one who puts us back together. Hard as we try, hard as we might without him, we try to do things our own way, but he alone is the only one who can uh, restore us. Yes, the scars, if you remember, are still there. Those things, the sin that so easily entangles us, that we have done, done to us, they are there. We don't have to hide them necessarily, but God uses those things. In other words, God uses sin sinlessly to restore who we are, to allow us to be attractive and give hope to those who are still broken. Week three was following just how do we follow Jesus better? Again, the strong foundation, we can have friends and money and politics, all the things that this world offers, but those are shifting sand in, in this world. Jesus Christ, is again, is the only rock that we stand on. We talked about marriage and roles and men and women and gender, those types of things. I want to remind you, re-engage is coming. So if you've not participated in our marriage discipleship, that's coming up in November. You can sign up for that. Um, weeks five and six were about... Our circles of influence, right, and how we grow. Last week was about pruning and how we are restored. God, we have the mind of Christ. That mind comes from his word, so we get rid of, eliminate the things that deceive us, and we are, can mature in Christ. And along the way, there's been some applications, right? We had a prayer cards uh, to, to challenge us in, in the varieties of places that we've been in the seasons of life to pray for one another. Uh, to say thank you for those people in our circle of influence, to write a card, encourage them, teachers, and, and just people that we uh, come in contact with. Um, for those who have still yet to submit to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that call was to come to Him by faith, to repent, to believe in Him as Savior, to be baptized in His name. And last week we tossed out some ideas about, or two weeks ago, about controlling Screen time, and some of you actually brought a Bible. You actually brought this with you instead of your phone <laughs> this morning. And I had to practice what I preached, so Friday I just shut it off and worked 
got a little house project going on, and it was so nice. Not like it was just a really good day not to have that uh, me looking at that. So I'm guilty of it too. Last week um, we talked. You know, we we had some date night cards. So this was like um, painting by number. <laughs> so if you took some of those, there's we ran out, which was kind of fun. So we made some more. So they're out in the lobby. Um, you just grab one of those. It'll walk you through a night uh, to share, to communicate, um, and. Uh, just to enjoy one another. Uh, Jackie and I haven't done that yet, but uh, I think Tuesday is our, I think we're doing it Tuesday, I think. Yeah, she's shaking her head. Yeah, Tuesday. <laughs> so yeah, so if you haven't done that, please do that. This morning is all about balance. And that's where we come to terms with, with Paul's uh, text in first, or Philippians 4. He uses the word contentment, so I'm going to use these somewhat interchangeably, but when you're in balance, when your life is balanced, you are content. So if you go to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Entreat Iodius and entreat Syntychus to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything I prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that length you have received a uh, uh, I have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Balanced, in other words. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty of and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Father, again, we just thank you as we hear from your word this morning. Just guide and open our hearts. Uh, let my words be clear um, as we desire to have godly family, that you oversee our homes, our relationships, that we can be a light to a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. The key to having balance, here it is right up front, verse 11. You got to learn it, Right? that's the key. It's not something that comes naturally. We have to be taught these things. And so Paul's circumstances, if you remember, where he is coming from as he's writing these, this just loaded. I mean, there's probably at least eight sermons right here, and, and I'll try to hurry. <laughs> he's in prison, right? You remember? He's writing this as he's in jail. He has been hauled off for preaching the gospel, and he is now in jail. That's not necessarily our situation. We don't have to be in that specific situation to be out of balance. And practically speaking, everything in this world, 
in this worldly system that you and I are part of is designed to keep us out of balance, it seems. The system of this world, the rulers, the authorities, powers of this dark world, they all work in concert with spiritual forces and heavenly realms. That's coming from Ephesians chapter 6. Everything in this sin-filled, fallen, unredeemed system is designed to make you, designed to make me, just unhappy with where we are, right? It's just designed to, to, to be discontent. Your job, your car, your house, your kids, your spouse, your body image, your clothes, your stuff. I mean, you just pick whatever you want, and you can go there and go, yeah, I, I deserve better, or I deserve more, or I, I deserve things other than what I have. And it shows up mainly when we are out of balance in the breaking down of our relationships of all kinds and types. None more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, he even asked that question, who do you say that I am? And Satan blows the wind of discontentment into our lives with the goal of just keeping us off balance, not focused, not content. Because God's will, his desire then, is for us to be in balance, to enjoy the peace and hope, love, joy he's designed in us. So I believe it, at least at this point in time in our history of humanity, that we are now exposed to this massive assault, if you will, on being discontent. In part, and maybe only in part, because the speed in which we are experiencing the technology that we have is almost instant, right? You, years ago, you know, we talked about the glowing triangles a few weeks ago. Before all that, it was, you know, a snail mail. You had to mail something. Or before that, it took weeks and weeks to deliver something. So you wouldn't know a lot of things, but now it's just so instant. We just seem to be pummeled all the time. And that leads to anxiety, doesn't it? And fear. It allows or leads to losing our joy, not allowing us to be content, in other words. Psalms 36 says this, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your rivers of delight, for with you is the foundation of life. In your light we see light. The whole idea here this morning is this really one thing, that God is the foundation of all your contentment. Anything outside of that, you'll be searching all day long, and you will struggle in it. Everything the psalmist says in that, that psalm is dependent on God. His unfailing love. His love never stops. His love isn't dependent upon what you or I are doing. In other words, it's all given. It's all graced to you. And Jesus says, it's pressed down, shaken together. It runs over so, so much so that you and I can't contain what he is offering. And you will be satisfied on his abundance. Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. You see the same thing in Psalms 36. There's a whole host of these in Psalms. Psalm 65, Psalm 107. It's where Paul can say in Romans 28, what? I can do what? All things. All things work for good, right? To those who are called according to his purpose. Well, where do you think he's getting that from? If I can just rest in who Jesus is, 
Listen, when God sees his children, his church, there is no need outside his purview. He sees all of it. Nothing in his church and nothing in your life as a follower of him goes unnoticed. Nothing is outside his love. You are not outside his providential care for you. He will never change. Malachi 3.6 I, the Lord, do not change. The, the desire that he has for you to come to know him through Christ, living in balance with Jesus, is the simple call on your life to say, I have enough. Wherever you are in this very moment in time in history, it's to say, God, you're, you're with me. You are never going to leave me or forsake me, but I have enough. Man, do I struggle with that. So I will confess to you openly, this is a hard one for me, to be content, to be at peace, to be satisfied, to accept what God has given me, and to live in balance in that. And don't confuse that with trying to help your situation either. Don't, this, so here's somewhere, sometimes it go this way. Okay, I'll just sit here and God, you just got to bless me, just drop it from the sky, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's not it either. You can't go to that ditch and go, okay, this is all I get. No. In fact, he has blessed you and me to live in a fabulous nation where you can go, oh, I really don't like my job. I'm going to go learn something new and go try something else. Right? Do you still believe that? I've been to enough countries where that doesn't, that doesn't happen. We are still very blessed, even as difficult as you may think it is. Jesus said in Luke 12, don't be afraid. Don't worry, don't be anxious. Matthew 6 says the same thing. His Sermon on the Mount. All to be in balance. So if you think, in other words, the grass is greener somewhere else, may I suggest just cultivating and fertilizing where you're standing in this moment. What does that look like? Well, James, even James 4 reminds us of this too. You know, those of you who say today or tomorrow, we're gonna go to this town or that town and do business and make lots of money, right? Spend a year there, carry on business. Good plan. Trying to better yourself, right? Even helpful to your family. But once again, where is the focus when he says that? Where is typically the focus? We pass over it so quickly. Today or tomorrow, we will go. And that's a man-centered theology. James says, your life is but a mist. You ought to say, he says, if... The Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Anything else is arrogance, pride, boasting, and so on, James says. Also, when it comes to contentment, please understand, Just I'll just mention this briefly because this is a whole other sermon. Godlessness, sinful people can be content, can't they? We're content in our sin. And I will just give you a couple of scriptures, just Genesis chapter 37. Joseph's brothers... When you read Joseph's story, we've been doing that with the high school kids, taking them through the Bible. We were there a week or two ago. Joseph's brothers, his own family, didn't like him. Baby the family, because the babies of the family get shafted. And so, <laughs> yes, if you don't know, I am one. <laughs> right? So, and he was rather arrogant too, because, hey, you're going to bow down and worship me someday. And they just didn't like him. So they see him, they come and throw him in a pit, sell him. He's in slavery, he's in Egypt now. They, I mean, I, can't, I have a hard time processing that. To do something like that to your own family member. But it happens. And it says, when you get to that end of that story, is the brothers, after all that happened, they were content. Right? Moses was the same way in Exodus 
too content with less than God's calling. Aaron's sons, in, in, as the, the temple was, was being uh, procured and they were learning how to do that, his sons disobeyed, disobeyed giving different offerings and God killed them. And, and Moses told his other two brothers to stay in the temple and they didn't do that. But Moses was content. That's Leviticus 10. So there's all these places where you can be content with your own sin. But being out of balance in this way, being discontent in sin is always in need of repentance. Because, in part, you put at the center of your theology yourself rather than God. Your, please listen, your Heavenly Father has the right to do with His children and ask of them anything He chooses to ask. Do you believe that? You belong to him. Paul says you're going to either be a slave to righteousness. This is how he says it. You'll be a slave to righteousness or you'll be a slave to sin. But nonetheless, you will be a slave. And I prefer to be in God's kingdom because he cares for you. He is a good God. And to say otherwise or to be discontent, what you're really saying is you're rejecting the fact that he doesn't have your good in mind. That would be 1 Corinthians 10. So, let me just go through these. That's, that's, like I said, that's a whole other sermon. How do you learn to be content in whatever circumstances? Paul is declaring, in, while he's sitting in jail, he is satisfied. He says, I have enough. Which, again, just, I just can't comprehend the idea of him having enough in the culture in which he would be in jail. He was under house arrest, but jails back then were basically a pit in the ground, a hole, and you were down in the hole in the dark, and whatever food you got would have been leftovers unless some family, friends, church body would come to help you, feed you, take care of you. It was not a good place to be. And so he says, I am satisfied. I have enough. I am at peace. I am content. I am in, I'm at balance with life, what's happening in this moment. And so he's worshiping in prison. And what's fascinating, if you read this, he, he goes through this whole little spiel about um, because the guards have to rotate, <laughs> Paul's having a ball because he's got someone you know, who needs to know Jesus who's chained to him. <laughs> they're not going anywhere for, I don't know how long those rotations are, <laughs> but they're not going anywhere. And so his mindset is, yeah, I'd rather be out there, but I'm stuck here in prison, and I'm chained to two guys. And if you read that story through Scripture, all of Caesar's, how he makes a reference to all of Caesar's household is becoming to know Christ. Why? Because he has a captive audience. <laughs> That's amazing to me how he turns it around and he's not, he's not looking, woe is me and all this, but hey, fellas, do you know who Jesus is? <laughs> I got eight hours to tell you. <laughs> you don't think those guards would have talked? Oh, man, I got the shift again. Oh, no. <laughs> but God converted him and he used that. He saw past his circumstances. How do you find balance? 1 Corinthians 10 says he always provides a way out of temptation. So it's knowing these promises, it's understanding these. Listen, every Christ follower, every disciple, you can learn balance in your life. You can learn contentment by following Paul's instructions here in this text. You follow these and you'll be well on your way to having balance in your home, to be better at home. There are six of them. 
There might be more, but there's at least six. Here's the first one. You want to have balance at home, you got to learn the lessons. Here's the first lesson to learn. Learn to love the church as Christ loved her, verses 1 through 3. Do you love the church? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, he says. It's to love and long for what Christ loves, and the opposite, therefore, is also true, to hate the things Christ hates. Back up in chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul says, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. Do you have the yearning for this body? He's talking about the body he's with, the people he's of the church. Do you love them? Do you love one another? See, many don't think, and we learned this a couple years ago, that the church is essential or very important at all. Some people move in and out. They're like spectators back and forth, unwilling to engage, to get close, to be involved, for whatever reasons. And some of those may be valid. There's certainly probably some hurt and pain in the past. Or fearfulness of their own past and it won't be known or don't want it to be known to others. They're just content to show up on a Sunday. But it's important to Christ. His church is paramount to Him. What bride is not important to the groom? What bride does not look forward to, the groom's, uh, to her husband's coming? What groom does not long for the beauty of his wife? To long to be with her. See, all those imageries in Scripture that you get is Jewish imagery, imagery, that picture that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 of the bride going to prepare a place. That was, that was her culture. He left. She didn't know when he was coming back. She just knew he was going to prepare a home, get it ready for He's doing all this work for her. All those references you can find in Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians 11. Matthew 25, he goes to prepare a place for his wife. And again, she doesn't know how long he will be away. All the things that he's doing, but she believes she is already his. And no one else will dissuade her of that fact. That's what Christ is doing. You wonder why it's taking so. This is what Christ is doing now. I go to prepare a place for you. I love you. The only thing he's coming back for is his church. He's not coming to save any other entity, any other organization. Just his bride. If you go back into chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, what does Paul say? Our citizenship is not here. Our home is in heaven. Those who are being saved are members of and heirs of Christ's kingdom. We are strangers and aliens in this place. We are waiting for him to come to transform this lowly, sinful body into its glorious affection, just like his. We are waiting for no more pain, no more sorrow, no more any of that. That's the longing that he is giving, the promise that he has for us. But until that day comes, we are meant to stand firm in the Lord, to love the people of God. Who are you standing with? He says, my brothers, my people whom I love, long for my joy, my crown, my beloved. Listen, none of those things can be done in isolation. You cannot do those things on your own. It is an impossibility. Christ and his body are made up of people who have been redeemed, like you, like me. 
And therefore, it is impossible to be in balance, if you will, to be content because you don't have what it takes in and of yourself by yourself to be content. You don't have those resources to get there. And God didn't design it that way for you to. So until his return, we are to love one another deeply. You need the church because in Christ you are the church and it comes with the territory, in other words. You have people who love you, who are meant to love you like Christ. No, we're not perfect and we're not going to do it perfect and I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to fail. And it grieves me when I do. But we have a place to be redeemed, to be restored. You have people to pray over you, to speak the word of life into you, to minister to you. So you see in verses 2 and 3, Paul's is begging for this to happen in your life. Listen, isolation is the devil's playground. You isolate, he will pull you apart. I mean, you see this in nature. You see, you see these physical examples, right? You see, you know, watching National Geographic, right, and the lions in the weeds. And you see this cute little gazelle just bouncing along, right? And all the ladies are like, oh, and the guy's like, get him. <laughs> right? And what do they do? They, they try to call him out and isolate. Because in a group, it, it's just too hard. It's not worth the fight. But if there's someone weak or someone hurting or something like that, it's easy to get drawn off. This is why it's so important for you and I to keep growing and maturing in Christ. So when we see those things, because they'll, they'll come a day when I might be that or I have been that, I know. When enough people love me enough to come around me and go, hey, what are you doing? Are you loved like that? Serving, loving, fellowship. It's life on life. Carrying one another's burdens, bearing one another's burdens, heeding the promises that Jesus offers, that it's more blessed to give than receive. And when that happens, the bonds of relationship grow stronger and stronger together. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a strand of two or three, remember? Not easily broken. That's what this is. Do you love the church? Here's number two. Lesson number two, learn to guard your joy, verse four. You got to train yourself to be joyful. This is not a suggestion, by the way. It's a command. And it's not just a one-time deal. It's this, how he structured the, the, the tense in this, this sentence that he's doing. This is, it's just this active present tense. It's, constant, it's a habit. Are you habitually joyful? Do you practice it? Again, like last week, you got to prune the old stuff out, the stuff that would discourage you to move past, to grow to maturity. And it's something that has, again, to be repeated over and over and over again for it to stick and for it to hold on to your life. One of those barriers, how do you do that, right? Because we get so focused on our circumstances. Great many things in this world are not worthy of joy, but lament. This world is harsh, sinful. So please don't miss when he says where your joy lies. Just look at, your, look at your text there. Here's the key. Where is your joy meant to be focused? In the Lord. Not in your circumstances. Our circumstances ebb and flow, don't they? I mean, it's, it'd be like riding a roller coaster. If, you, if you're stuck on your circumstances, yeah, joyful, and then you crash and burn because what goes up comes down. 
I don't like the dome pot on roller coasters. It scares me. <laughs> but it happens. So where is your joy supposed to be? Where is the foundation of you to be rejoiceful in joy is, like Paul, in prison, I can rejoice in the Lord. That's where I'm going to live. In order to find joy in the Lord, the lesson has to be learned to do battle with my own sin. The, the things that drive me from being into discontentment. And so I have to get above my circumstances. I don't want to be on the teeter-totter of life that way. I want to know the joy in the good things, to praise Him for the, the blessings that He is, the highs, but also to remember the lows are there for me to grow and mature, even when it's hard. And He says this over and over, Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 2 Corinthians 6, sorrowful yet also rejoicing. There is this paradox all throughout Scripture. How do you do this? My good friend, Dwayne, <laughs> would say something like this. Ain't nothing but a thing. And then I don't get, if I remember right, a chicken on a string. It's some military thing I think he told me one time. Something he heard in the military. I don't get the chicken part, but. What's the point of all that? The point is, yes, it would be hard and the moment you're in those lows is not fun, and it's not something to be strived for. It's not what you want, but it isn't forever, is it? Think through your own life, especially those of you that are a little farther down the road than me and maybe a little grayer. Remember your, all those things that have happened? You're not there anymore, are you? But it's really hard when you are, isn't it? When you're grieving, when you're struggling, when you're going through something hard, it's really, it's a fight to find and be joyful. And it's not that you're joyful. Again, remember, it's not joyful that this thing is happening to you. That's not the thing you're supposed to be joyful because there's no joy in the hard things of life, is there? I am meant to be joyful in the Lord because without Him, there is no hope. There is nothing left for me but all this life has to offer. And right now when I'm in that moment, it is hard and I don't want to be here and I don't want to be around anything or anyone that reminds me of this, that, and the other thing. But I can be joyful in the Lord. That's the focus. My dad would say, you're wound up like an eight-day clock. That's how he describes me, which is probably true. Just relax. <laughs> It'll be okay. Paul says it this way, set your minds on things above, not on things of earth, Colossians 3. That's everything, by the way. See, the frustration that comes with being out of balance, I believe, is ultimately my pride. Because this is what pride says. Pride says, no, God, I deserve better. You just not be paying attention to what's happening in my life, so I deserve something better. I'm not getting what I deserve. But if you get above those perspectives and understand what you actually deserve, first of all, I don't deserve anything the Lord has given me in the first place. Secondly, what I truly deserve is judgment, death, and hell. That's what I truly deserve. So when I realize everything in this life is a gift, I can hang on ever so lightly and not be discontent to know that he is working his will and his way in my life, even when I don't understand, but to be faithful in it. God is sovereign. He is ruling. 
God is over my circumstances. He is king over all things everywhere, period. That's the lesson. Lesson number three. If I can make it through the first two. See, I, I would have to go back and retake the first two lessons <laughs> over and over again before I get this far. But here's lesson number three, Paul says in verse five. Be reasonable to everyone. Learn to live in moderation. That word there in the Greek means what is fitting. It fits. You know, it's like the three bears. Not too hot, not too cold, but what? Just right, right? It's that. That's the reasonableness. It's the right balance. I'm, I have just the right amount for my situation I'm finding myself in. And it's a, a gentle, humble, patient, kind spirit. There's no retaliation when I'm mistreated. No anger in that sense. No, in other words, no self-justification. No self-protection of character. You're not stomping your feet and throwing your arms, demanding your rights. You're not combative. You're not quarrelsome because you're not getting what you think you deserve. The privileges, the possessions, the health, the wealth you believe you're owed. You're able to do with less because God's good gifts have been brought into your life right where you are. And so you can realize I can learn to live in moderation. I can learn to be reasonable, to reasonable to be uh, to be reasonable to everyone. Lesson number four: to be content or confident. Verse five: When he says the Lord is at hand, what image does that bring to your mind? When you're confident, it's because you've gained some knowledge or skill, typically that you've developed in life. Like when Jackie and I had our landscaping business, I would try to explain things or do things to people. And those of you that have, you know, if you're a mechanic or you build things or you know things, you, you have a specific task in mind, you, you engineer things, all those things. But my thing was landscaping because I just wanted to be outside. <laughs> and she would remind me, she goes, you talk too fast, you go through this so fast and you make it look so easy. Well, because it is. <laughs> right? And they're looking at you like, I don't get that. I get the same feeling because I have to ask George for help when I build things. And he's done this his whole life, right? Those, again, does that make sense? It just, boom, boom. And, he, and he shared, I, I keep telling him, George, you got to write all these little tips, tricks, and tonics in a book because they're so helpful. <laughs> I never thought of that. Oh, you can do it that way? Great idea. But it's that. You get so confident, and when you know something, the Lord is at hand, and that should give us the confidence. There's no hesitation when you have confidence. When you know what to do, there is a supreme confidence to move and act when you find yourself in a situation when life comes at you. How can you stay in balance in life when you lack the confidence of life issues? When you're not sure. Remember, the Lord is near. How near, how near is He? How close is He to you? Well, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Peter said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the indwelling nature of God himself. How much closer and nearer do you want him to be? You have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. That comes from Scripture. We often think of God, oh, he's up there. He's just looking down. Not sure how active he is, but he's just, he's just watching which is seemingly an admission that God is just too far away from my circumstances. And that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying here. Therefore, since the Lord is near, and he can't be any, any nearer than indwelling in you, 
Paul says this in Romans 8. What does he say? Nothing can separate you, can it? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. He knows what you need before you even ask. Why do I should pray? Because he knows that Matthew chapter 6, right? That's the Sermon on the Mount. So what's the following up question? Students ask this all the time. Well, if he knows what I need, why what? Why should I have to pray? Who's it for then? Not for him. It's for you. It's for you to just unburden your life to, so you can be in balance. It's for you to know that he is near, that he is in his provision and his providential care for you is, is guiding you and directing you, maturing you in Christ. Listen, you young people, the, one of the best things you can do is look around the room and talk to someone who's a little, quite a bit farther down the road in your life. Okay, so all the gray hairs, just to make it clear. Go up and talk to them. Ask them what happened in their life. Ask them what their life was like and how God has directed. It's really hard when you're starting out in life, isn't it? When you're, when you're graduating, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. But you're going to make it. You'll even have this amazing story when you do it, allowing God in your life. Ask them. Ask them and listen to the stories how God has directed their life. And they get to a place like my dad, 91. And you look back and you go, Oh, I can't see it forward, but I sure can see it looking back, can't you? You see how God has strung all the pearls in your life and where he's acted, where you've fallen off the rails, where sin took you away, and he's bringing you back. The providential care that he has in your life. He is near to you. There are plenty of things in this life that we need to work on in what's happening in our world. But God is near to each one of you in Christ. He has a plan and a purpose. And all I need to know is that he is at work in my life. In the life of this church, he is faithful in the life of everything that is taking place to glorify himself. Here's lesson number five. Let God do the heavy lifting. Verses six and seven. Since he is near... A balanced life requires a life of prayer. Rather than doubting God in your circumstances, rather than moving down the road of worry and anxiety and fear and all of those things that so easily defeat us, what does he say? Pray how? Ask and what? Everything. Pour out your heart. This idea of supplication that he's using, that's the idea of begging. Do you cry out to God? I, do, I usually do this in my car when no one else is around. So if you ever drive past me and I'm just like... <laughs> that's probably what I'm doing. <laughs> right? And you just pour your heart out. Everything. But watch how you're supposed to do everything. With what? Thanksgiving. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I have to remember to thank God before, you know, before that request leaves my lips. To thank Him in everything that I'm asking, God, just to be thankful for you're there, you're near, you're hearing me. You're the one that's keeping me in balance. You're the one that someday will show me, hey, guess what? Uh, when I get to heaven, he's gonna, I think He's going to, um, you avoided this, 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 and this in your life. You want to know why? Because you prayed, because you poured your heart out, because I removed those barriers from your life. Not all of them, because otherwise you probably get too arrogant. <laughs> But I don't see those things. We pray this in our, with our eldership. We pray this all the time. God, whatever's in the future, smooth out the paths. We want to see your spirit poured out in this place. Move things away. 
that would trip us up, that would afflict us in any way. It's an act of worship. You cast your cares on Him, Psalms 55. What's the old hymn say? Take your burdens to the Lord and what? Leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Why carry the load? Why carry the load that you're carrying today? Be thankful before you ever see an answer or relief in faith. Thankful for a God who is. The fact that He exists. That He has a plan for your life and the greatest plan of being in redeemed, being redeemed, uh, being in His church. And He will work out the details of what you do and where you go in His providential care. You unload your heart by prayer, supplication, crying out to take your burdens, confessing all your sin, just unloading it all and leave it there. That's his promise, verse 7. What's going to happen when you learn this one, when you get there, the thing that everybody wants is what follows in verse 7. Peace will guard your heart. What's it going to guard your heart from? Why does your heart need to be guarded? From being ungrateful, from being discontent, from being out of balance. Listen, you want God's peace? Learn to pray. Work this one hard. This is a good lesson. It has less to do about the answers you're going to receive and what you need to ask for to begin with. Again, Matthew chapter 8, or Matthew 6. It's letting go of the responsibility because Jesus Christ, God the Father, is your heavenly Father. And what does a good, good Father do? He takes care of His children. If you've raised children, when, when your kids are small, they don't ask you when breakfast. They don't ask to be clothed. They don't ask for anything because they can't. You just know instinctively to take care of them as a good parent. Why, is, why do we miss this when our Heavenly Father in the same way? A, a physical example of a spiritual truth. And somehow we disconnect this that God's not seeing it. And then we run off and go, He's not good. He didn't answer my prayer this way, God. Really, you're going to put Him in that kind of box? He's a good, good father. Number six, last one. Learn to refocus, verse eight. Balance comes from keeping all your focus on godly things. And you won't find this. This is why, you know, we talked about the glowing triangles, all the technology to shut it off. You won't find it there. The only place to imbibe that is God's word. What does he say? Whatever is true whatever is lovely, all those things, right? The whatever is right there. Commendable, excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy. Who is he referring to in all those things? But Jesus Christ. When God says and declares you in Christ that you've been made a new creation, do you still believe you're messed up? Do you believe your problems are too big for him? That you're too far gone. God would never want you because everybody else has cast you out. Those are lies. Every last one of them. Which is why you have to love as Christ loved. Learn to refocus. You just go down the list. What is true, what is honorable, respectable, righteous, holy, pure, commendable, praiseworthy. What are you supposed to do? What is your active participation in this learning process? What's the one thing he's asking you to do? Think. (laughs) Think on these things. 
So take some of those challenges maybe from last week and turn your cell phone off or stop your news feed for an hour for a day. It's one of the things I enjoy about taking students on a week of camp out to Colorado because none of that stuff works. <laughs> it's amazing what a week in the mountain. Again, I'm, I just love doing that to begin with, so fair enough. My wife is beach and water. Mm, I'll do it because I love her. <laughs> but I'd rather be in the mountains, right? The last trip we did was during covid and everything that was taking place in, in that moment and what you're seeing and truly to rethink and refocus your mind it, to a person, and, and most of them are high school students, which is fine, but to my, even to myself, being gone in, in the midst of all that was like you step back in time almost, right? Because we were, we were studying for a week. We had a theme picked out. We were studying this each and every day, hiking, seeing things just out. and It was beautiful. And the shock was when you come back, and then all of a sudden, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about all this stuff. We have to refocus. Now, you can't stay in the mountains and the high places because we are meant to be salt and light to the earth, to the people in need. But we need to learn these things. And I knew too. Look at verse 9 real quick. I'll close with this. How do you do that? You, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Who are you following? Is there someone in your life right now that you can go, oh, they, they have this lesson, I need to go talk to them. <laughs> oh, maybe not that one, but they have this one, I'll go talk to them. Who is in your life? Who are you coming in contact with? Remember circles? Uh, maybe someone in your small group, which is why we do small groups. One of the reasons. So you can build those relationships in a small community, small, tiny, 5 to 10, 20 at the most. <laughs> Right? So you can get to know, so you can serve one another. The small group Rob is in and all the things that are happening with him right now as he's sitting in the hospital. Some of you experienced this in your own small group, those needs that they know immediately. Some of those things, the beautiful thing about this is when that happens, the leadership never hears about them until almost after the fact. That is a good thing. <laughs> it's the way it's supposed to work. Because you love one another. And so we refocus. Follow someone in your life. Learn the lessons of being in balance. It's a stretch, but I'll guarantee this. When you and I begin to do this consistently, willfully, joyfully, everybody where you live, work, and play will take notice. And be prepared because they will ask you a question, especially if they know some things that are happening in your life, some of the hard things. And, and why you can handle them the way you handle them. Because that is a green light for a gospel conversation. Are you prepared? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity, once again, to come and share. To glorify you in worship and word and song. Father, thank you that our balance in this life comes solely from you. Father, thank you for Paul's words. That we can be encouraged by, that we can... Learn these lessons to be content, to be in balance in our home and our life. The thing we so all desperately desire and seemingly we fight with so much. So Father, I pray for wisdom as we process this. Wisdom and the understanding that we do have an enemy who wants to keep us out of balance. God, I pray we continue daily to refocus our hearts and our minds to you. That you are near. That you are willing and able 
to guide us through all these things in life. In Jesus' name, amen.